From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. Um, we are uh, we are in the book of Genesis, and um, today we're going to talk about a couple different things. Uh, the, it's uh, we're going to go into Genesis chapter ten, and Genesis chapter ten uh, is what they call the Table of Nations, and um, it's basically uh, the sons of Noah, and then all of his family. And it gives a lineage. It's kind of interesting. It gives a lineage from um, Noah to his three sons, and then it follows that lineage down. But obviously, you can't follow down every person that's ever been alive on the earth, right? You can't. You can't simply, uh, you know, mention who everybody's genealogy is. But it's it's kind of a really complicated genealogy, and it's all in Genesis ten and Genesis eleven. And then uh, the first part of Genesis eleven is the story about the Tower of Babel. And um, and that's an interesting story, too. So we'll see if we get there today. Uh, but first, we're going to talk about the Table of Nations. And this is basically the sons of Noah. And I just want to show you this real quick uh, graphic here. This is um, basically uh, as we go through the sons of Noah, and there's a bunch of them. There's, there, there's I mean, this is... This is just going to be mind-boggling for you. You're going to, why in the world do I need to know all this? And it's uh, basically this is how the Middle East, the ancient Near East, was populated by all these different groups and where they came from. So you can see uh, we've got the, the green group here, and we've got the beige group, and we've got the purple group. And each one of those are descendants of either uh, Japheth, Shem, or Ham. And uh, and you can kind of see where they where they went and how they were populated and and how the different groups are all related, uh, which is interesting because they don't go they don't have Noah's sons don't go in um, specific areas they like scatter and they all scatter and it's just really really fascinating so um, that's that's. Uh, the backstory behind this long lineage, chapter 10, is just a long lineage of the, the sons of Noah. And it may seem boring, uh, but what it does is it gets us from Noah all the way, you find the lineage from Noah all the way down to a guy named Abram, A-B-R-A-M, Abram. And uh, Abram is key to Genesis. Abram is one of the key characters of Genesis. Um, it is, if you've ever been into a uh, preschool program and son, uh, sung, uh, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. Well, Abram becomes Abraham. And uh, we're all sons of Abram. We're all sons of Abraham. So he is uh, one of the key characters, if not the key character. Well, he's not the, well, for the nation of Israel, he's the key character. There's no question about it. I mean, you have other people too, but it really is, um, Abram is 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 a good guy here. Uh, uh, well, he's a key character, let's put it that way. So um, let's go ahead and get into Genesis 10. And uh, this is a long uh, lineage of people. And you're going to think, why in the world do I need to know this? And uh, it just, there's some interesting names in here that you might you might find interesting and say, hmm, that's curious. And uh, and then it does get us down to Abram, which is the whole purpose of Genesis 10 and 11, is get us down to Abram. So 
that's kind of where we're heading. Uh, this is probably going to be very boring for you. I'll try to make it as non-boring as possible, uh, but we'll go ahead and get into it a little bit. So uh, let's go into it. This is Genesis 10, uh, beginning of verse 1, the table of nations. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. The Japhethites, so if you're a son of Japheth, you're called a Japhethite, um, Curious, uh, what are, if you live in Vale, what are, are you called a Vailite? Um, it, I grew up in Phoenix. People who grew up in Phoenix are called Phoenicians. Uh, I've heard that people who live in Vale are called Valians. Uh, I really like that because it rhymes with alien, and uh, so I think that's kind of cool. But if you are uh, a son of Japheth, you're called a Japhethite, all right? So these are the Japhethites, the sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. Tiras. These are the sons of Gomer. So this is the grandson of, uh, of Japheth. So Gomer is the grandson. The sons of Gomer are Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarmah. The sons of Javan are Elisha, Tarshish, Kittites, and Rhodonites. From these, the maritime people spread out into the territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. The Hamites, the sons of Ham. Ku, Egypt. Now, that's an interesting name. Egypt is... <laughs> so, uh, that's just... Um, you, you think the nation of Egypt, uh, you know, where they came up with their name. Well, are they the, the sons of Ham? I mean, is that where that came from? Let's go back to our map and see. Uh, and you can see that we have Put and we have Miriam, which is Egypt, and it's right there where Egypt is. So that's interesting. I find that fascinating. Put and Canaan, the sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Rama, and Sabteca. The sons of Rama are Sheba and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord, and that is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad, and Kelna. So, and you've also heard, um, if you've heard of the Akkadians before, they're one of the first uh, written languages, the Akkadians. Uh, They used uh, Ugarit. Um, So this uh, this is kind of where they came from. Uh, Akelna, Kalne, and Shinar. From that land, he went into Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Kela, and Resen, which is between Nineveh and Kela, which is the great city. Egypt was the father of the Luddites, Anamites, Lehabites, Naphtuhuites, Pathrusites, Kasluhites, from whom the Philistines came, and Kaphtorites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amurites, the Girgashites, the Hivites, the Archites, the Sinites, Arvadites, Zemurites, and Hamathites. Later, the Canaanite clans scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon toward Gerar as far as Gaza and then toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Admah, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. So if we just go back a couple of slides here, you can see. So the, we're seeing now that it's just all spreading out. 
And it's all going in different, different locations, okay, uh, as far as Laisha. Uh, and then we continue on. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations, the Semites. The sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber, the sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arphaxad, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hol, Gether, and Meshech. Arphaxad was the father of Shelah, and Shelah was the father of Eber. The two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was named Jaktan. Jaktan was the father of Almodad, Shelef, Hazar, Maveth, Jerah, Hadoram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Abimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. All these were the sons of Jaktan. The region where they lived stretched from Mesha towards Sephar in the eastern hill country. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons, according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these, the nations spread out over all the earth after the flood. So this is basically just telling you um, that after the flood, remember, we only have Noah and his kids. That's it. And, you know, and their wives and a bunch of animals. So, uh, so they don't kind of stay in just one area. They migrate. They move out uh, tremendously. And as you can see, they move. They go into Turkey. They go into Greece. They go, uh, they go into Syria. They go over to Egypt. I mean, they go into Africa. All of these areas, they all kind of just spread out uh, in, in that whole area. And so uh, this is basically uh, an oral history. Remember, um, one of the commandments of God, we don't get into the commandments until Exodus, but uh, one of the commandments of God is to honor your father and mother. And one of the reasons I believe that commandment is in there is because uh, people, people have a deep-seated desire uh, to have a connection. Uh, we have this need as human beings to have a connection with um, uh, our ancestors. We need to know where we came from and who we are and, and uh, where our history is from. And uh, I think there's a deep-seated need in our in our psyche to know kind of who our ancestors were and where we came from and that sort of thing. And so you don't want to cut yourself off from your ancestral heritage. And so this uh, history that was given after Noah was given to all the sons to tell people kind of where you came from, like what tribe and clan. And as you can see, depending upon the area that you live, that would be the tribe or the clan that you would live in. And so um, this is just another way to connect to your heritage or your history. Uh, so um, this is kind of a, a written—remember, this is an oral history to begin with. Uh, and then Moses, who writes the book of Genesis, takes this oral history and he writes it down. Uh, but, but for years and years after Noah, this was an oral history that was passed down from generation to generation to generation. And so that's how they learned where their, where their heritage was from. Uh, but now that we have writing and we have the ability to do charts and things like that, it might be helpful just to take a look at this same information in chart format. And so, um, as you can see, this is a genealogical table of the descendants of Noah. And you can see, uh, it's not a very good, I pulled this off of some internet site, but you can see uh, we have Japheth, uh, we have Ham, and we have Shem, and you can see all these descendants uh, that come down from each one of these. 
Um, and not every descendant is included in this chart. Obviously, it can't, you, you, this chart would get way huge, uh, you know, if it could come down to you today. I mean, if it, would, if it mapped out every human, wouldn't that be cool um, to map out every human in the earth and just kind of where who your father was or who, who your parents were and who their parents were and just kind of have this massive chart um, of who everybody was. Uh, I think people who uh, study genealogy, I think they love that kind of stuff. I uh, obviously don't have time to do that sort of thing, but it is really, really cool uh, thing to do. Um, let's see. So you have Japheth, you have Ham, and you have Shem. Uh, and then you can see all their different descendants. Here's another chart that I pulled out. You can't really read it, but this is the Table of Nations in Genesis 10. Um, and so you have Noah up here at the top, and then you have Japheth, Shem, and Ham. And then you can see uh, Shem. You come down to Shem, and he has Arphaxad, who has Sarah, who has Eber, uh, who has Peleg. We talked about Peleg before. And then there's a whole bunch of people that come down from Peleg, and it says here, to Christ. And Abram is in there. Uh, Abram is a descendant of Peleg, uh, and, and Christ is uh, obviously a descendant of Abram uh, because he's the lineage of uh, Abraham. He's, he's a child of Abraham and the chosen of Israel. So uh, what's interesting is that the chosen of God are down here, this little thing called Peleg, you know, which ends up being Abram. But there's all these other people that God created, and they're all related, right? They're all related. You have Japheth, you have Shem, and you have Ham, and all of these people uh, are related to each other. It's not as if we're foreigners. Uh, so every, we, you know, this has so much implication in our world today, but we look at we look at people that live in different countries, or we look at people that have maybe different religions or backgrounds, uh, and we we have this tendency to kind of say, "Well, we're different from them." Uh, you know, if we're not humble, we might say we're better than them. Um, but the fact is, is that God created all of mankind, and God loves all of mankind, uh, tremendously loves all of mankind. And we are all related. I mean, if you look at this chart with Noah and Japheth and Shem and Ham, it's just this one little sliver that comes down to Christ. And all of these others uh, are still children of God that, that he loves and that he created. Um, Christ had not come yet. He had not called out the nation of Israel yet. He had not called Abram yet as a special—and uh, we'll get into that as to why God calls Abram. Uh, what is special about Abram? And the answer is nothing. It's just that God calls him out to be a blessing to the world around him, which is more of a calling from God than it is a special, you know, that he's some sort of special thing. Because we you get into Abram, you'll find out that he's not necessarily a special guy. <laughs> he's Abram is, is everyone, right? Abram is all of us. We all have Abram tendencies in our life, um, but God loves us too. Um, anyway, so... Um, the, the point of all this is that we're all interconnected. Uh, I guess, you know, we have right now, we have all these, um, these tensions going on in the world because we have certain classes or races of people that feel that they're ostracized or marginalized or that for some reason they're just not um, respected. Um, they can't get any uh, traction in society. 
Um, without traction, it's very hard to move up in career-wise or to find a job. I mean, if you if you look at trying to find a job, what is that? Basically, it's it's kind of like your heritage, who you're from, what area you come from. You know, this is this is big in smaller communities, right? Like who your parents, who your grandparents, and all that. If you don't have that traction, it's really really hard um, to find a connection in society. And there's a lot of people who don't feel connected, and um, and you got to think how how in the world are we ever going to solve this problem? Like how do we make everybody feel? Like they're connected in our society. How do we, what are the things that we can do as a society to make sure that every person feels like they're a loved and respected part of society? And um, that is a tough one. I have my own theories on that. Um, I think, you know, it's a crazy one, um, but not all that crazy would be to just, uh, um, you know, basically breed it out of us, right? So you, you uh, in two or three generations, if we mixed up all the different races and classes and just bred it out, uh, we would all be um, kind of distributed, you know, one kind of distributed population. That'd be one way to do it. I, but I don't know. There may, there may be other ways too. Um, uh, the things that we've tried apparently aren't working very well. So it's maybe time to go back to the drawing board and, and try to figure out something else. I mean, that is the great thing about humanity is that we're creative, right? We can come up with stuff like this. So uh, we're not stuck in the past. We can we can create and chart a future that's even better than the past. So uh, let's see. That is So those are the charts. Uh, this is the, the chart of Genesis 10. Um, Let's see now. Um, I guess we could go to the next. So this is this is the story of the Tower of Babel. Bob L. Bob uh, is gate. Um, it's a it's a Hebrew word for gate. L uh, is short for Elohim, uh, which is the uh, which is the generic word for God. Remember, God has the generic uh, L. Uh, is the singular Elohim is the plural, and that's the that's the name that we give to God is Elohim, and then uh, he has a personal name which is uh, we talked about that earlier, but it's Yahweh, and um, that's like the that's the name of God. So you might have Elijah, which is Yah, is short for Yah, or you have like this Bob L, which ends in L, which is a, a, a Hebrew name Bob L. So. Um, this is the gate of God, basically, the Tower of Babel. Genesis 11, beginning of verse 1. Now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. Then they said to each other, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used bricks instead of stone and tar for mortar. And then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens, so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. And the Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there over all the earth, and they stopped building the city, and that is why it's called Babel, the gate of God, because there the Lord confused the language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the face of the whole earth. So uh, 
we have this account now. We're in the middle of a genealogy. So Genesis 10 is a genealogy. The end of 11 is a genealogy. But then just in the middle of this is the Tower of Babel. Now, if you've gone to Sunday school or you uh, grew up in, in church or you are cognizant, you've, you've heard of the Tower of Babel, you've seen pictures of the Tower of Babel, right? It's, a, it's this tower where they're trying to build a tower up to God, right? And um, why do they do that? Uh, it says here the whole world have one language, one common speech. The people moved out to this plain of Shinar and they said, let us make bricks and then let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. So that's what we find out, that they want to build a tower, stretch it up to the heavens, make it grand and beautiful and exciting. Uh, let, us, let us build something, and we're going to build something with a tower up to the heavens to show that we may make a name for ourselves, otherwise we'll be scattered over the whole face of the earth. So this is a, this is a natural inclination of mankind, Right? Uh, is to build something grand, something magnificent, so that you can make a name for yourself, right? So that you can have a presence in the world, so that people will notice you. And uh, we have done this all throughout human history. Um, the one that just comes to mind, we lived in St. Louis when I went to the seminary for, uh, for a number of years. And in downtown St. Louis, uh, does anybody know what is in downtown St. Louis right next to the river, right? It's the St. Louis Arch. Uh, and it's this incredible structure. It's just, a, it's just an arch. It actually has an elevator in it. I don't know if you've ever been in it. Um, but you can take the elevator up to the top floor and look out these tiny little windows. And it's... it's uh, the elevator is not like your normal elevator. It's not like uh, the one that you find in a hotel where you press the button, you go up one floor. No, this elevator is a little tiny. It's kind of shaped like an egg, I think, maybe. Um, and it only seats four people, and you get into this thing, and you go all the way up to the top, and it's really cramped. It's really claustrophobic. But you get up to the top, and you can kind of walk on the top of the arch and look outside the windows. It's really, really kind of cool. And um, But the whole idea of the St. Louis Arch, right, was to create something in St. Louis that was magnificent. They kind of set St. Louis apart. Uh, in New York City, right, what is it? It's the Empire State Building, or maybe it's the World Trade Center, uh, of course, which isn't there anymore. But if, if, your, if, if your symbol of your greatness is the Arch or the World Trade Center, I mean, obviously, then it becomes, uh, you know, a point that somebody might want to attack, you know, to pull it down, to, to, uh, to destroy you to your roots, right, is to, is to destroy the things that, that make you who you are. Um, <clears throat> here in Vail, uh, it might be the, the Sonoran Desert, the, the cactus, the mighty cactus that sets us apart <clears throat> from other places. Do you know the, the Soro cactus only exists in the Sonoran Desert, and the Sonoran Desert, the outline of the Sonoran Desert is basically where the, where the saguaro cactus grows. So wherever the saguaro cactus grows natively, that's, that's the Sonoran Desert. A little bit of tidbit. But, um, but we always have this, have this tendency as a mankind is to build something that's going to set us apart from somebody else. And we've done this throughout history. The church does this too, right? If... If a city really was, was really, really important in Western culture, right, what did they do? They'd have a bishop. And whenever you had a bishop, 
uh, then you were allowed to have a cathedral. And then so you would spend years, sometimes decades, sometimes even millennia, well, not millennia, but centuries, building your cathedral, which was this magnificent structure that shows that you're important, that you're wonderful, that this is an important city. Uh, and it's basically the same thing as the Tower of Babel. Come, let us make bricks. Uh, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Now, there's nothing wrong with making a name. There's nothing wrong with uh, trying to to do, you know, to take the ingenuity of mankind and to build something big that's a structure that's just amazing. You know, the Hoover Dam, uh, arch, uh, hanging you know any of these well that's a natural but i mean some of these some of these things that we've built the coliseum you know all these different things that we've built there's nothing wrong with that the problem is uh which apparently is the problem here is that thinking is losing your humility uh, and thinking that you are actually better than somebody else that you are no longer connected with your fellow mankind that you have done this to show that you're better than somebody else. And this is what mankind does all the time. And it's the root of all mankind's problems, uh, is to basically say, uh, you know, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna build something better than anybody else, and we're going to be better than everybody else, and we're, we're going to set ourselves apart and to be better from anybody else. And that, the cure for that, then, is what God comes and does to Abram, right? And we'll get into that. But uh, here at the Tower of Babel, uh, God does not like this. So the Lord comes down, and he says, uh, if as one people they speak the same language, they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. So let us come down and confuse their language so they'll not understand each other. So right away, God sees this tower and realizes the danger of this. Uh, and so he comes down and confuses the language, which is interesting because uh, people who study languages actually have not, um, it doesn't, uh, the people who study languages don't understand why there are so many different languages. Uh, this is one explanation that makes that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, uh, is that God came and confused all the languages and scattered them over the earth with different languages. Um, and so God confused the language of the whole world, and he scattered them on the face of the earth. Uh, and so God comes down, he scatters them, uh, he prevents them from building the tower as one nation, as one people, uh, he kind of scatters them to be different nations. Uh, so it's kind of an uh, equalize. It's, uh, it's kind of a revolutionary thing, right? It's, it's, um, it's the first time where you, in, where you basically uh, break up a monopoly, right, and, uh, and scatter them so that they don't have so much power. It's the first antitrust lawsuit in the, in the world, right, was God coming down at the Tower of Babel. Uh, was to break up this trust, and it was an antitrust thing. It was to break up the monopoly of mankind with building this Tower of Babel. So uh, God does that, um, and then we have all the languages here today because of because of this, according to Genesis chapter 11. And uh, I could talk about that, but I want to get through Genesis 11. So let's just go ahead and finish this, uh, because then we have from Shem to Abram. This is the account of Shem's family line. Two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arphaxad. And after he became the father of Arphaxad, Shem lived 500 years and had other sons and daughters. When Arphaxad lived 35 years, he became the father of Shelah. 
And after he became the father of Shelah, Arphaxad lived 430, 403 years and had other sons and daughters. So just really quickly, remember now we're getting into the lineage that takes us down into Abram. And so uh, as we did with Adam to Noah, we're now starting to get the ages of all of these people in the line to Abram. And notice they're not living 1,000 years anymore. They're living 500 years, but they're still living pretty good, uh, pretty long lives. Uh, let's see. Yeah, here we go. So this is, uh, let's see, but let's start at verse 12. When Arphaxad lived 35 years, he became the father of Shelah. And after he became the father of Shelah, Arphaxad lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Shelah lived 30 years, he became the father of Eber. And after he became the father of Eber, Shelah lived 403 years and had other sons and daughters. When Eber lived 34 years, he became the father of Peleg. And after he became the father of Peleg, Eber lived 430 years and had other sons and daughters. When Peleg had lived 30 years, he became the father of Reu. And after he became the father of Reu, Peleg lived 209 years and had other sons and daughters. When Reu lived 32 years, he became the father of Serug. And after he became the father of Serug, Reu lived 207 years and had other sons and daughters. When Serug had lived 30 years, he became the father of Nahor. And after he became the father of Nahor, Serug lived 200 years and had other sons and daughters. When Nahor had lived 29 years, he became a father of Terah. And after he became the father of Terah, Nahor lived 119 years and had other sons and daughters. After Terah had lived 70 years, he became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And this is the account of Terah's family line. Well, and just real quickly, um, the, uh, the, the, what you'll notice in this whole lineage is that uh, the pattern follows the same thing. He lived a certain number of years, then he had a son, and then he lived a certain number of years after that, then he died, but he had other sons and daughters. So that is the pattern, and then you just fill in the numbers. So if you're memorizing this, which is, of course, this is an oral history before Moses, um, all you have to do is memorize the numbers and the pattern, and then you can, you can memorize this whole thing. It, becomes, it almost comes like a litany or a pattern or a, a mnemonic device to help you memorize this stuff. So this is the account of Terah's family line. Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Terah lived 205 years, and he died in Haran. So as you can see, um, we have... Uh, the history of Abram, uh, and you can see he Abram takes a wife. His name is Sarai. She's childless, but together they leave to go out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and this is where, so Abram comes out of Ur, and he's going to go to Canaan, but when they came to Haran, uh, they settled there. Haran, I understand, is an oasis, so they're on their way from Ur to go to Canaan, but they come across this oasis, and they decide to stay there. And uh, that's kind of where we pick up the whole narrative around Abram now. And Abram, like I said, is a key character uh, of the Old Testament. And um, God comes to Abram in a very special way. 
uh, and we are all children of Abraham, uh, which is which is very exciting. So um, I think I'm going to leave it there. Uh, wait, I think I have one more chart. Let's see. Yeah, I do. Uh, this is this is um, another chart that you can see. You have Shem, you have Ham, uh, you have Japheth, and then Shem. You have Elam, you come all down, Arphaxid and all that sort of thing. And then you have Abram. You have all these Peleg, Reu, Serug, Nahor, Teras, Abram. And then Abram, uh, we'll see, is takes us to Jesus. So um, this, is, this is just one portion of the three sons of Noah. There are other sons of Noah. There are other people that God created that he loved, that he saved on the ark for a reason. Um, so anyway, that's kind of, uh, that's the exciting um, Bible study for today. I think we'll end it there. And uh, thank you so much uh, for joining me today. I pray God's richest blessings on your day. Um, why don't we go ahead and close in prayer? Uh, gracious God, uh, be with us today. Help us to see that you've created all of us, that you love all of us. Um, and uh, thank you for the beauty of your creation and the joy of your creation. Be with us until we meet again in Jesus' name.